Okay, it's great to relax with you tonight. And uh, not being disobedient to Stuart's word, this is much easier than standing and preaching. Um, really encouraging, isn't it, to uh, hear Simon and Kate's story. I know that uh, Andy Davis, Andy Liz Davis, pioneered into Wales for us uh, many years ago, and that New Frontiers has been doing great things there. But I tell you, every time I hear stories like this, I get really moved, really excited. Wasn't the worship good tonight? Just fantastic to be singing in Spanish and Portuguese and English and in Hindi. And uh, we are part of this incredible international family. If you're watching this on uh, TV or, yeah, we, we like to preach differently. So uh, I will get to it in a minute. Uh, I like going home and sitting with my friends' books. I've always loved books. They are just wonderful things. Can you remember when you... Did you all start out with books like I did? Can you remember having mum and dad read stories to you? Remember that? Reading those lovely nursery stories, Jack and Jill. Of course, uh, today if you read the stories, they are changing. We are becoming more politically correct. No longer do we have the story of Little Miss Red Riding Hood. It's now called the vertically challenged Native American non-binary Riding Hood <laughs> and the endangered wolf. <laughs> Once upon a time, the vertically challenged North Native American non-binary Miss Hood went on a vacation to visit her chronically, no, chronologically advanced grandma. And on the way, she met a critically endangered wolf who enlisted her support in the World Wildlife Fund before sharing her the way to Grandma's house. On arriving at Grandma's house, she saw that Grandma looked decidedly different from usual with big eyes and huge teeth, but accepted and celebrated their difference immediately <laughs> and was overjoyed to hear the wolf was a vegan. And so the stories continue. Of course, I graduated from uh, Little Miss Red Riding Hood, went to the famous five. That was my next uh, great challenge, eventually into Narnia, and graduated finally in the Lord of the Rings. How many of you like Lord of the Rings? Oh, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, the problem with, of course, reading lots of Lord of the Rings is that you can almost get more excited about Lord of the Rings than you can excited about what God's doing in the world today. You can live in a fantasy world. I can remember Mick Taylor reading, videoing from up here, Aragorn's charge. There may come a day when the hearts of men may fail, but it is not this day. And, and we can get really stirred by the emotion of uh, fantasy, really, and live in a fantasy world and miss out the reality. When I was in India recently, Heather and I were in India recently, uh, we were given these on arrival. Uh, it was a, a commission adventure together book. And on the back it said, our vision is to see thousands of lives trans transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations. And I can remember getting this and thinking, wow, they've all written, already written part of the story. And then I opened the book to find 
There's nothing in it. There's not a thing written in it. And wondered if this wasn't a prophetic picture to us for this conference. That God wanted us to understand that we're looking at the book of Acts. But we're not to be people who spectate and look and wonder and talk about the good old days. But we in our day, in our generation, are called to write our own story. Write history. God's history in the world today. Every one of us can write a line, a paragraph, a sentence and fill a wonderful book of adventure of what God is going to do with us. And so that's really what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about writing our story. Forty years ago, last week, Terry and Wendy, Terry Virgo, went into Nigel Ring's house and began their first church plant. 40 years ago, in 40 years, we have now seen 1,500 churches all around the world joining part of this incredible family called New Frontiers. In 40 years. And so what I want to talk about tonight I, won't, I will stand to preach, and I'll try not to fall off, because my wife will be very upset if I fall off. What I want to talk about tonight is the great adventure, and I want to talk about the need of the hour is power. When we read the book of Acts, when we start the book of Acts, there is an urgency, there is a moment that we read about that actually is incredibly captivating. It can become over-familiar. And J.B. Phillips, when he wrote his introduction to the book of Acts, wrote this, which is incredibly important. He said, it is impossible to spend several months in close study of this incredible book without being profoundly stirred and, to be honest, disturbed. The reader is stirred because he's seeing Christianity the real thing. For the very first time in history, the newborn church is as vulnerable as any human child, having neither money, influence, or power in the usual sense of the word, is setting forth joyfully and courageously to win the pagan world for God in Christ. Of course, I want to recognize, just as I begin this message, that we are one small boat in God's mighty armada across the world today. In England this year, right across the festivals from spring harvest right the way through, lots and lots of festivals, we've been recognizing that we are part of a greater, wider community, an evangelical. We're proud to be evangelicals. We believe in the gospel. We believe it's the hope of the world. And the EA, together with others, have put together what they call John 17, 21. You got a bookmark when you came in. And the purpose of this is to be, have a fresh commitment right across all these conferences, all these big events by evangelicals to say, we want to fulfill the prayer of Christ in John 17, 21, that they may be one and the world may believe. We want to see something amazing in our day and our generation. Amen? 
And so we want to just pray, just before I get into this message tonight, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters right across our nation. And I want you to join with me with an amen. They've written down a prayer. I'm going to pray it. I want you to pray it in your hearts as you hear this and pray for our nation as you do so. Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, the Prince of Peace, Grant us the grace to see the dangers of our divisions, take away our prejudices and all that hinder our fellowship, deepen us in the unity you have already given us in Jesus, and enable us, us to live as the one body of Christ, fulfilling the one hope of our calling. May we be in the power of the Holy Spirit, boldly proclaim Jesus and his power to save, and to serve with joy the one God and Father of us all. May we all be one, that the world might believe through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm also being helped tonight by someone painting as I'm, I'm preaching because I love releasing the artist. We've said this before. We want many, many people, people who can write poetry, people who can paint, to help us understand something of the bigness of God. And what I want you to sort of get into the picture of, of tonight is we want heaven to touch earth. Amen? The need, I believe, of the hour is power. We can preach great sermons, we can talk great things, we can write great books, but if we have no power, we are just windbags. We are just exhorting people to do something we're not doing ourselves. And so my prayer tonight as we come to an end, when I bring this message to an end, is that the Holy Spirit would break in right across this meeting and touch our lives with his power. Are you up for that tonight? Amen. Let's, let's believe it. Let's turn to God's word because faith comes from hearing. And as we read these incredible opening chapters of the book of Acts, I pray God would grant you faith to believe for something similar in our day. Acts chapter 1, I'm reading from the ESV. It says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he has, had chosen. Can I just say this? Luke is writing a second book, chapter one of the story that we are, in, are called to write. Chapter one is Luke's gospel. It talks about the incarnation. It talks about the life of Jesus. It talks about his wonderful message. It talked about his death and resurrection. And that's 33 years, chapter one. Now he's beginning chapter two. We're probably on chapter 66. If we're thinking Acts takes about 30 odd years, the life of Jesus is the same period of time. If you count those 30 years, we're in probably chapter 67, 68 today. So what are we going to write? My prayer is, as we hear this, we will write some great stories. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And so when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore 
the kingdom to Israel. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him from their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I always think the angels are a bit slow on the pickup, aren't they? Not every day we've seen this, but here you go. This Jesus, they said, whom was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you've seen him go into heaven. Now, we're not going to look at the call of Matthias replacing Judas. We're going to go into chapter 2 now. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived... The day of Pentecost, just in case you're, you're new to Christianity, maybe you're not even. The day of Pentecost is, it, Pente means 50. It's 50 days after the Passover. Jesus broke the Passover just before he was crucified. We're now, the story has run on 50 days. It was known to the Jews as a very special feast. It was the feast of the first fruits. It was the time where they, they had probably the greatest party. And uh, it was very fitting on this special day as Jerusalem was filled filled with people, packed full of people for the, the first fruit celebrations and joy, it's very fitting the Holy Spirit comes on this special day. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together, that is the disciples, in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it we hear each of them in our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. What we need to understand up to this point in time, up to this point in the story, the disciples had been persecuted. They had been driven underground. They were hiding away. They were terrified. They were like rabbits in the headlights. And suddenly, in a moment, all that changed, and they became terrifying, ferocious foxes, not rabbits, chasing after people, declaring the praises of God. What was the game changer, says Luke? What is the game changer for every generation? The need for the hour is the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the game changer. And it's him that we need to turn our focus to and our attention to tonight. I don't know if you ever saw or came across, some of you who are younger may never have heard of a man called John Wimber. He, he started the Vineyard Movement. And when I was a young, younger Christian than I am today, 
I can remember hearing John Wimber talk about when he became a Christian and he started to read the stories, the Gospels and the book of Acts. And he said to one of his elders of his church, he said, uh, excuse me, when do we get to do the stuff? And the elder said to him, what stuff? And he said, everything you read in the New Testament. You know, the signs, the wonders, the deliverances, the healings, all that stuff. When do we get to do the stuff? And the elder said to him, we don't do the stuff. We just read about the stuff. And we just preach the stuff. But we don't do the stuff. And I'll never forget what John Wimber said. John Wimber said, when I was part of the devil's kingdom, we were allowed to do the stuff. And you're saying now we're part of a greater kingdom and we're not allowed to do the stuff. We just read about the stuff. And I can remember thinking, this is absolutely crazy because he's so right. We're called to do the stuff. Every generation is called to do the stuff, but we're not called to do the stuff in our own understanding, in our own understanding. We're called to do the stuff when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. That he is the game changer that we need in the movement of commission. If we are to do this incredible mission, thousands of lives transformed, hundreds of churches, tens of nations, I promise you there is nobody in the leadership team, there is nobody I have met in commission who's going to do this. Our great hope, our great confidence is in the Holy Spirit coming upon us on his sons and daughters, pouring out his spirit on us, even on evenings like tonight, so that we might go and do the stuff. Are we ready to do the stuff? Amen. We, if we are, we need to know where we, where we need the power most. And I want to suggest there's three areas that you and I need to have the power of God. John Wimber talked about words. Uh, he talked about words, works, and wonders. I'm going to talk tonight about power on our words, on our worship, and on our witness, which is all coming out of this text. The first thing I want us to understand is we need power on our words. Did you notice that the disciples, when they're talking to Jesus, he spent some time explaining to them about the kingdom, and they asked this question, are you going to restore the kingdom, of Israel, kingdom to Israel? Their vision, their view of God was very small. Their vision was of a temple, a small little building. Their vision may have extended to Israel, to Jerusalem and then to Israel. And their, their preoccupation is, are you going to do something here? Are you going to do something now? Is this the day of another David? Is that what we're going to see? Is this what the plan is? And Jesus, rather than answering that, widened their horizon and said, listen, you need to understand this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem or even Judea, not even Samaria, but this is going to run and run and run to the ends of the earth. And he's speaking this, brothers and sisters, to a group of disciples who only 50 days earlier had turned and run. We need this power on our words. Peter had denied Christ three times. And in Acts chapter two, we come upon probably, I would believe, would be his greatest sermon. Just turn in, let's just read a part of it as we look at this tonight, because I just find it totally and utterly amazing. In chapter two, 
and verse 37. Peter has stood up and he's lifted his voice and he's addressed this crowd who think is a rowdy group of drunks. It's a big crowd, by the way. It must be five, six, seven thousand. And Peter quotes scripture. In the last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit. This is what you're seeing tonight. This is what you're seeing today, Peter says, early in the morning. In the last days, God is pouring out his spirits on his sons, his daughters, his young men, and his old men. And then he goes on to preach a powerful, hard-hitting sermon about Christ. And in verse 37, for the sake of time, Peter comes to this rousing crescendo. Let all the house of Israel know for certain, God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. Peter preaches his greatest sermon. Peter preaches in simplicity. Peter doesn't preach a very clever sermon. He doesn't preach in terms of gobbledygook. He just brings the story, the Old Testament story, right up to the current day. What God had promised to his prophets, he was now fulfilling through his son upon a generation as the Holy Spirit came upon them. It was full of scripture. It was full of Christ-centeredness. Jesus of Nazareth, verse 22. The Lord and Christ, verse 36. His humanity and his deity. It was full of conviction. They were cut to the heart. It was full of grace. I want to suggest to us, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about the word of God, I want to challenge us about how big is the God that we are worshiping. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones famously said this, the greatest sin of the evangelical church is we want to put God in a little box. Can I just challenge us tonight? Have you got God in a box? Some of us have got God in a matchbox. Just need him when we lose the power. Anyone got a light? Anyone got a candle? Just God in the emergency. That's the only time we need God. We can live our Christian life without God. Some of us have got God in a chocolate box. I talk to Christians and it's like just sickly and gooey and sweet and no substance to the God that we worship. Some of us have got God on a soapbox. We... uh, we just like hearing a certain doctrine, a certain leader, a certain preacher. We just love them and we, we worship that rather than worshiping the creator, the, the giver of life, the author of salvation, the king of kings and the lord of lords. Many in this nation have got God in a wooden box called a coffin. They don't believe God's even alive. And we need to be challenged, brothers and sisters, is our God in a box of our own making? When we think of thousands of lives transformed, are we putting God in a box? Peter on Pentecost saw 3,000 in a day. 3,000 in a day. 
Philip goes down to Samaria, and there was great joy in Acts chapter 8 in the city. Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 11 go to Antioch, and there was just numbers, numbers, great numbers, great numbers, great numbers. We need brothers and sisters in this day that we are living to stir our faith in the God that we worship. We need a big view of God, and we're going to get a big view of God only in one way, by reading and absorbing and loving His Word. The earth is the Lord's, everything in it. The Lord that we worship is the creator God. He is the king. He is mighty to save. And he needs to be the one that we ourselves, before we ever think about sharing the gospel, getting on a mission, doing this, we need to be people who are absolutely just God, um, full, God-delighting, God-honoring, word-centered, delighting ourselves in his word. There is a close connection, brothers and sisters, between the word and between being filled with the spirit. Intimate connection. If we are to be filled with the spirit, we are going to find that by being filled with the word. Jesus promised the spirit who would lead us into all truth. I love the way in Ephesians 5, 18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Here's an encouragement tonight. But be filled with the Spirit. Is that just for me? Is that just an individual? I just want a blessing tonight? No. We get filled with the Spirit so that we might address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all our hearts. We want to go back to our campsite, having had an encounter tonight, that we might sing scripture and talk scripture to one another, explaining and trying to get a hold of this incredible God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a God that blows our minds, that leaves us breathless. Because it's only, I tell you, it's only when you have a huge, big view of God, you'll understand why the nations all need to bow to his wonderful name. He is worthy of all their praise, all of their worship, all of their things, because he is the mighty, mighty God. And if we are going with a little God in a match, can I just explain to you God? I've got him where I like him. He's the God of the parking space. I, I, you know, I pray seven times this month and parking space every time. You know, it's great. That's not the God who's going to rescue the UK from the plight it's in. We need to give ourselves, brothers and sisters, more and more to the word. A big view of God. We need to realize that's where the power comes from. We need to, secondly, we need to have power in our worship. Terry talked this morning so wonderfully about prayer. And he showed us, and I'll show it again, that in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, wait, don't do it, wait. We want to get, no, wait. And so they understood their, their place, their primacy, their most important thing was to do was to pray. They were to seek God's face. They were to be in that place of prayer and worship, giving themselves to God. And in that place of worship, God's Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit comes, and they then, what do they do? They don't go out and start preaching the gospel. They go out, and hear, people are hearing the praises of God in every different language. They were amazed and perplexed because they said to one another, what does this mean? Because we're hearing them tell these different people who up to this point in time couldn't speak another language are speaking in our language, telling the mighty works of God. 
the mighty works of God. That's what we want to be doing in our worship. We want them to be telling the mighty works of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit that would help us tonight to see that actually we don't want to go rushing into mission before we are intimately acquainted with the God who goes before us and answers those prayers and prepares the way for us to go into those things. The early church, it says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. As I said, we need to be devoted to the Bible much, much more in these days in which we're living, probably than many of us have ever been before, to the fellowship, to being together at events like this, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Prayer needs to be our first, not our last resort. It needs to be our morning disciplines, our daily disciplines of getting before God in prayer. We have had, uh, Terry and Wendy have modeled this all of their lives. I can remember the very first time we invited Terry to come down to our house in Bournemouth and we went to bed and in the morning I woke up very early and thinking I'd left the television on because downstairs in the living room, which is underneath my bedroom, there seemed to be a lot of noise being generated. And I made the mistake of going down to turn the telly off to walk in to find Terry praying, saying, great, good to see you, come in. (laughs) And pray and just, let's pray together. And I tell you, I've been to his house many, many times, the whole day, just giving ourselves to pray, praying for the nation, praying for things. We haven't got time to undo this in in much detail, but can I suggest to you just a simple acrostic to remember the key elements of prayer, A-C-T-S, because we're in the book of Acts. A is active listening. Active listening. Before we come... Eugene Peterson says, all prayer is answering speech. We give ourselves to reading God's word. God is a speaking God. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. And all our prayer is answering what God is speaking into our hearts. It's a wartime walkie-talkie, John Piper called it. But when we hear, when we give ourselves to prayer, as we finish an evening like tonight, we say, we're going to pray to God We hear the heart of God, the John Groves prophetic encouragement to us tonight that he wants, he likes people. He wants the house full. And it's amazing when you get on your knees before God, when you start to pray, as I do in London, because we're up in London quite a bit at the moment, you start praying for the thousands, the hundreds of thousands. You start to be overwhelmed with the size and the scale of this, and then you start to understand such is the compassion of God. And I'll put this challenge to you. If your tears were ink, how stained would your face be from crying out for the people who are lost in our nation? We need to confess our sin. The cross stands above it all. The Andrew Wilson this morning, he's went through Romans. It was glorious. It was glorious, glorious, glorious because it came again and again and again. The the sufficiency, the supremacy of our God in Christ. The one who's paid it all that therefore we are now no longer under condemnation. We've been set free from the law of sin and death to live the life of the Spirit. It was amazing stuff. We kept breaking out in spontaneous applause because we know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need a daily getting clean, 
having a wash. I hope you do that at West Point. Daily getting in the showers. Afternoon's always best. Get in there. Thanksgiving. We are, should be the most thankful people on the planet. We should be. I mean, we're probably one, in the top 1% of the richest people on the planet, so that alone should make us grateful. But then when you consider all that we have in Christ, we should be full of thanksgiving, thanksgiving, thanksgiving. We should be pouring out to God our thanksgiving, and we should also surrender. We must give our lives as we come to prayer to saying, God, whatever. Whatever. I love the fact, when I, I said to Simon and Kate, the first time I ever said this to Simon and Kate, sat them down and said, would you go church planning for me? Do you know one of their first, Simon went white as a sheet. Kate goes, do you know what? I can see us doing that. Was her first response wasn't over my dead body. Her first response was, hey, we could do that. That's what needs to be. Whatever the Holy Spirit whispers as we're on our knees in prayer, hey, we can do that unless we... Brothers and sisters, get into that place of prayer where we surrender it all on a daily basis. Put it all out there again and say, Lord Jesus, our life is, we died with Christ with the day we believed on you. Our life is hid in Christ. We are all in for you. We will never fulfill this mission. We'll never write the page of history that God would want us to write in the power of his spirit. The need of the hour is power. I love the fact people are surrendering. I love the fact Michael and Claire Homer are going to Andover. Simon and Kirill have gone to the United States. Simon and Kate going to Cardiff and so many more. I think it's wonderful that we are seeing leaders surrender, but God wants us all to be surrendered. All of our lives surrendered to him. We need power in our prayer. And I want to finish by suggesting we also need power on our witness. You cannot read Acts. If you go home, back to your tents, and start looking for the word witness, it comes up and up and up again. You will be my witnesses, says Jesus, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses. Acts chapter 3. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are all witnesses. Witnesses, witnesses, witnesses. We hear this word again and again. And Jesus, please note this, says, don't do the mission, don't be a witness, don't do any of this stuff until you've received power from on high, until you've been clothed with the Holy Spirit, until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't try and do the mission, don't try and get out there and do it in your own understanding. You wait till the day you are clothed with power. The need of the hour is power when it comes to witness. You know, when I was a young boy, I used to travel on the train every day, and I just got familiar with the train. I was on Winchester Railway Station. I used to go down to Portsmouth every day on the train. And I could actually be quite a good station announcer. I could stand on the train, and someone could say, hey, what's this train going to? I could go, it's calling it Shawford, Eastleigh, St. Dennis, Southampton, Milbrook, Redbridge, Totten, Lindus Road, Bewley Road, Brockenhurst, Sway, New Milton, Hinton, Admiral, Christchurch, Pokestown, and then Bournemouth. Passengers for the Portsmouth line need to change it. I could do this really well. And sometimes people say, so what's it like in Brockenhurst? Oh, I don't know. I've never been there. I have no clue what any of those places meant, but I could recite it 
Do you know, sometimes when you talk about witness, you hear Christians sort of reciting stuff. They learn a pat. How are you going to be a witness? How are you going to win your friends? Well, I've got three questions I want to ask you, and this will sort them out. No, Jesus says, if you want to be a witness, you need to be clothed with power from the Holy Spirit. In fact, don't even try and witness unless you have received the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe God wants to push us and let us flow out of West Point this year with a renewed confidence and renewed power on our witness. And I want you to think, brothers and sisters, as I bring this message close, I want you to think of the fountains in Trafalgar Square. If you go to London today, the Trafalgar Square fountains are dry. There is not a bit of water in any of them in the middle of all this heat. They're repairing them. They're not really fountains. They just look like fountains because a fountain is meant to cascade water. A fountain is meant to be a place where you find life, where you find refreshment. And brothers and sisters, when we have been clothed with power from on high, we will flow and overflow with the love and life of Jesus Christ, and it is contagious. And God wants to fill us tonight, his sons and daughters, with his Holy Spirit. Pentecost was a life changer, a game changer. And Heather and I found we were, we, we, we're spending half our time up in London at the moment serving a church called Westminster Chapel who are here tonight. Love you guys. So good to be part of this living church. And Howard, who leads the chapel, he said to me, I'd like you and Heather to talk on, on being a witness. We're going to do a course. Uh, it's called an eyewitness course. And we'd like you and Heather to tell some stories and do some of the teaching on it. And we went home and we said, Wow. What's, what's our latest story? Is it a year old, six months old? What? Well, we better up our game. We better start to do this stuff because we don't want to sort of start speaking it and a bolt of lightning hit us as we start to share this where God says, really? And so we, we, we prayed and we, we thought, actually, we, we're going we're gonna to stir ourselves to be a blessing. I want to say, in terms of a witness, if we think it's trying to take a scalp, if we think it's trying to bang someone over the head, if we think it's trying to somehow cajole, convince, win all the arguments, and that's going to win a person to Christ, we're deceiving ourselves. I want to suggest to you tonight that the way God wants us to be moving in renewed power is to begin with being a blessing. That we are called to be Christ to this world. Wherever Christ went, he blessed. He brought truth. He brought life. He brought hope. He brought love. And we need to see ourselves as full of the Holy Spirit, full, tipping over, water, dripping here, dripping there, wanting to bless, 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 bless our world. And so we've been living this joy of this joyful living of thinking. We're going to live a life of blessing. We're going to be on this adventure to bless people. And we go out on the streets. We go out on our, on our way to work. We go out and we want to say to people, we want to say, hey, good to see you. We want to bless you. We want to help you. And I tell you, blessing is like little drops of rain. You can meet somebody, you can buy them a pair, of, a homeless person, and buy them a pair of socks or a meal. You can talk to someone and give them directions and bless them in Jesus' name. 
At Westminster Chapel, when they went out onto the streets, they decided they'd go to a coffee shop. They put 30 quid, 40 quid behind the bar, and they said to the, the person in uh, Costas, the next group of people coming in, just say the coffee's on us. And if they want to know why, we're sitting in the corner, and we tell them because we love Jesus and we want to bless our city. We've got into this lifestyle where we're looking, bless, 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 bless. Heather and I decide we're going to invite our neighbors in our flats to come and have a cream tea, a Dorset cream tea. What's nicer than that? How to bless people. We only had two couples turn up. And so we got all these cream tea scones and Heather, I said to Heather, what are we going to do with all this? And she says, we're going to go out and we're going to bless our other neighbors who live on the streets of Westminster. And so we went out to the homeless, and I'm no kidding, we're kneeling down saying, I say, old sport, would you like a cream tea? <laughs> would you like clotted cream on that? Or, no, you jam first. Jam first, okay, jam first, then your cream. Okay, that's very nice. Oh, you want your cream first? We had a ball of a time just blessing the homeless in Westminster because Jesus is king, and Jesus loves this world, and Jesus wants to have the party full, and he wants us to go out knowing that God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son. But our need, brothers and sisters, the need of the hour is power. It's not just blessing. We need the love of Jesus to fill us and flood us. We need power on our words because I tell you, when we start to share the love of Christ, people start asking us and saying to us, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And we need to be just living such an intimate life with God. It's so easy to say because we love Jesus and we love you. We need power tonight. I tell you, if everyone in this room, 3,000 people in this room, three times a day, because we try and do this three times a day, just go and bless somebody. However we can, bless, 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 bless. Over a period of a year, that would be millions of little droplets which would flood and become rivers of blessing to our nation. And I want to challenge us to get on this adventure I want to challenge us to be men and women of the word, men and women who understand the power and the primacy of worship and giving ourselves to prayer. And we need to be men and women of witness. Witness. We have a great story to tell. We have the story of life, the story of the one who came, who lived, who died, who raised, rose, risen again, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we've got our story to link into that, how Jesus has changed our life. And we need to go out of West Point with a confidence that we're not trying to peddle some sort of miracle cure. We are talking about the greatest treasure on earth, the pearl of great price, the wonder of wonders, the king of kings. We have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I remember, as I finish saying, just want to say this. In 1786, Hudson Taylor, uh, sorry, William Carey, was in a, a prayer meeting and got so carried away in terms of the lost and the urgency of the hour to go and reach and preach the gospel that one of the elders came over to him and told him to sit down, young man. He said, if God wants to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting you or me. Many of us don't know how he carried on that elder. The elder said, good grief. We would need a second Pentecost to break out and to, in order to break down the barriers of foreign languages. I would urgently say 
to the church in our nation, to us in commission, to those listening at home on, on TV, we need more power. The need of the hour for the church in our nation is power. And we need to realize that this power God has spoken about, this power that Jesus promised is for us in our day, in our generation. Do you need power in your life tonight? Have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? That's how you get into this adventure, how you get into this life of witness, into this life of of pure joy. You need power on your marriage. You need power in your life tonight. I believe as we start to worship, as we give ourselves to worship again, that we need to cry out to God. Cry out to God. God, send the rain. God, let heaven tonight touch earth. You know, the hardest thing about being a speaker at a conference, the hardest thing by a mile is I cannot do anything in terms of you responding or Holy Spirit coming. All I can do is invite the Holy Spirit, invite you to open up your hearts before heaven and to cry before your Father in heaven and saying, Lord, you promised in the last days you would pour out your Holy Spirit. We're living in these last days on your sons and daughters who are gathered before you. We need power. We need power in order to live this life, in order to transform our nation, in order to be witnessing, to go out and love this world. So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for you. The worship is going to come up. When do we get to do the stuff? Now. Right now. We're not going to do the stuff tomorrow. We're going to do the stuff tonight. And so I want you to just raise your hands in the presence of the king. We thank you, Father, that you so loved the world that you gave Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and fulfilled the law. You were obedient unto death, even death upon a cross. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you raised Jesus from the dead, that corpse in that grave. You rose him from the dead to to resurrected life, and that same spirit is going to be poured out tonight in this place. And we invite you to come right now, Holy Spirit, and start to pour out your love and your grace and your power and your mercy upon us, your children. Come, Holy Spirit of the Lord, I pray. Let every heart be drawn to cry out to you for more. May every dry, barren soul tonight know the outflow of heaven. May every person who's never been baptized in the Spirit, may they know an encounter tonight where they would ask the Father and understand the Father longs to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. We're asking, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, that you would give the Holy Spirit tonight because we need to know your power in the day in which we're living. Come, Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, come on this meeting. Lord, I pray for an amazing encounter now in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I want us to worship first before we move into ministry. I want us to use this song to be a prayer for us, to ask God to move in our lives, in our churches, in our nation with sovereign power. Let's worship him together. Thank you, Lord.